Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. We come this morning back into uh, our study in 1 Corinthians, and I don't know about you, but I'm loving it. I'm loving going through this book, and uh, I hope it's been an encouragement, but this is uh, that first letter that we have on record written by Paul to the believers at Corinth, and of course, if you've been with us, then you'll recall where we're at in our series and what has taken place, but you'll remember that this is a letter that was written by Paul to the believers at Corinth because God had used Paul in a very instrumental way in Corinth, didn't he? If you went to Acts chapter uh, uh, 17 and 18, we would discover that Corinth, a very uh, uh, debauched city, a very sinful city, a very uh, well-known city, was a place that Paul traveled to. And when Paul went there, man, God would use Paul to tell people about Jesus and to see many people come to Christ. And, and then Paul, God would use Paul to plant a church there. And so Paul planted a church there in Corinth, and he would end up staying there for 18 months, 18 months, Paul would stay there in Corinth and man, God would use him to disciple people and ground people. But then Paul would move on. And of course, if you know Paul and his ministry, Paul's ministry was to go and, and start churches and God would use him to start uh, many, many churches for him all across the known world. And so one of the places that he did that was in Corinth. He moved on. He would be gone for a while. After he was gone, he finally received word that the church wasn't doing too well. As a matter of fact, there was a whole group of believers from, uh, from the church that had traveled to where Paul was to meet with Paul and to tell him, hey, Paul, the church is not doing too hot. So Paul, as a concerned pastor, what does he do? He writes back to them. And he spends, we saw, we've already seen this, he spends the first six chapters dealing with their issues and you guys, you guys are, are fighting, you're divisive, you're mean to each other, you're selfish, you're prideful, you're being rude, you're, you're continuing to hide sin. And he began to just, he began to kind of help, let them have it, if you will. And they needed that. They needed that correction. Don't we all need it sometimes? We need someone just to speak truth to us. And that's what Paul did. He spoke truth to them. And then from chapter seven, all the way through the end of the book, Paul is going to just answer questions. And we've been kind of in that segment for the last number of weeks where Paul answered questions about relationships and answered questions about meat that is offered to idols. And he answered those gray areas of life. He answered questions um, about in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter um, 11 about the Lord's table. And then last week, last week we're with him in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, where Paul began to answer questions about spiritual gifts. Remember, they had asked a question like, Paul, what is the best spiritual gift to have? And in their mind, the people at Corinth, they were, we saw this last week, they were treating their spiritual gifts more like children playing with toys than adults who had tools. And what we discovered last week is a few basic principles out of 1 Corinthians number 12. First, we discovered that every single believer, and we have, to have, we have to know what we did last week for this week to make sense, but we're not going to be here hopefully for an hour, longer. Maybe, we'll see. We learned last week this, that every believer has the Holy Spirit. Man, aren't you thankful that once you trust Christ as Savior, God moves into your life? It's not, a, it's not a progressive, uh, a, a progressional salvation. No, once you ask Jesus to come into your life, you know what he does? He comes into your life and the Holy Spirit moves in. And Romans chapter eight, it tells us that if you, don't, if you don't have the spirit of God, you don't have God. You don't have any of him because the moment of salvation, every single believer is given the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm so thankful for what the Holy Spirit has done in my life and what the Holy Spirit does in my life on a daily basis. I'm thankful. If we want to know one of the best names given about the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture, Comforter. That's what Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as, the great Comforter. If I go not away, the Comforter will not, will not come unto you. Man, the Holy Spirit wants to comfort you, wants to help you through each and every situation that you and I face. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. But then we also saw last week that every believer is gifted. Every believer is gifted. Well, Pastor Dennis, what do you mean by that? 
Every believer is enabled, given, we saw this last week, and so if you need more uh, um, help with it, just go back and listen to that message again. But every believer is enabled by the Holy Spirit with a, 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 a characteristic, a gift that is supposed to be employed or used within the church. We divided the spiritual gifts into three categories. We did this last week. There's the, the speaking gifts, like preaching or teaching or the gift of exhortation, encouragement. There's, uh, there's service gifts. This is the gift of helps, people who kind of are, are behind the scenes and, and a gift where people use their talents and abilities in, in a serving way. And then there's the sign gifts. We looked last week at the sign gifts, and we'll speak briefly on it again this morning, that the sign gifts were the gifts of healing or the gifts of miracles or the gift of tongues. And those sign gifts, again, we discovered last week, those were gifts that were given to validate the message of Jesus Christ. But now those sign gifts, it's called cessationism, where those sign gifts have ceased because what do we have now to validate the message of God? The actual message of God. Man, we have the, the written word of God, the canonized scripture given by God for us to validate the message of Jesus. And so those sign gifts have really passed off the scene. So you have then speaking gifts and, and service gifts. And what we discovered last week is the fact that every believer is gifted. So every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer is gifted. Every believer is important. Remember last week, the idea of a body functioning properly? Man, if, if, I, if I'm going to be a person who functions properly, I need every part. Now, there's some people, they're born without parts. They're born without a limb. I've got a, a pastor friend who pastors in New Jersey. His name is Phil Rizzo. And Phil, when he was five years old, was involved in an accident and lost his left arm. And Phil is a good friend of mine. And honestly, it's probably very mean of me, but we make fun of Phil for only having a nub. And, and uh, we, we have a, he, he makes fun of himself and has a great... The other day, so uh, this is totally off subject, but it's really funny. So uh, on Twitter the other day, social media on Twitter... Phil, he's, he's very involved in politics. Actually, he ran for governor in New Jersey and almost won uh, this last year. And he, he uh, the, anyway, Phil did that, but he's on, online. He has a lot of, uh, a lot of people who hate, it, hate on him because of his stand for God and country. And Phil, he posted something and somebody said, I can't wait to see you in handcuffs, <laughs> plural. Well, if you know Phil, he responded back to them with a little character made out of symbols, and his left arm was a bread loaf. It was just a nub and then a right arm, you know, and I got a kick out of that. But anyway, that's the type of stuff that Phil does. You know what, though? What Phil jokes about, we were at a preacher's meeting one time, and uh, the preacher was up front, and he was like, now I want everybody, everybody in here, I want everybody, everybody lift your hands up, everybody do this, everybody go like this. Well, Pastor Micah Bosworth and I were sitting at a place where we could see Phil, and we both just started laughing. <laughs> And we looked over at him and we both went, you know, and Phil was like, he's laughing, doing that with his arm, you know, and everything. He makes fun of himself all the time. But you know what he jokes about and you know what he's had to do? He's had to learn how to operate with that hurt limb, with that dismembered, that missing limb. And you know what Phil knows? Phil knows that his body was not made to function without a limb. Nobody is. God actually said, right, that every part is important. Now, why do we talk about a physical body and every part being important? Because God uses that illustration and superimposes it over the church and says, listen, in the church, every body part, every member is important. Well, why would he say that? Because the believers at Corinth were like, I'm more important than you because my gift is better than yours. I speak with tongues. Well, I have the gift of prophecy. Well, I have the gift of healing. And they were arguing over all of these gifts. And Paul goes, hey, stop. Everybody has the Holy Spirit. 
Everybody is gifted and everyone is important. And the last thing we looked at last week is the fact that everybody is responsible. Well, what does that mean? Hey, if God has gifted you, use your gifts for him. He gifted you for a reason. And your giftedness doesn't mean you're godly. Giftedness is not godliness. No, giftedness is me using what God has given me to exalt him and to edify his church. And so the main thrust we kind of looked at last week is this thought God gave you a gift and you are responsible to use it to exalt Christ and to edify or to encourage the church. And so we left off with a question last week. Are you using your life? Are you using your gifts to exalt Jesus and to edify other believers? Well, this morning as we make our way back to the passage, back to the topic of giftedness within the church, I wanna present to you a thought and really uh, an illustration. Where's Micah? Where's my son at? Is he helping in a class? Micah, come here. Dennis, come here. My boys to come up here real quick. Ooh. Uh, you can just turn this way. Just, you guys are just standing. I just didn't want to be the only one standing on the platform. They're going to stay here the entire message today as I preach. <laughs> My boys, they, uh, they became old enough that a few years ago, I taught them how to mow the lawn and how to weed eat. Now, Dennis, he's, he does the mowing. He loves it. He loves to mow, loves to put his headphones in, loves to walk around with the lawnmower and do his thing. Micah, he does the weed eating. He doesn't love it, but he does it and usually does a decent job. Now, let me ask you a question and present to you a thought. Let's say that Dennis, I go and I teach him how to how to mow a lawn. I teach him how to adjust the wheels of the lawnmower to make sure that the height is correct. I teach him how to check for gas. I teach him how to start the lawnmower. I teach him everything about mowing a lawn, how to go down the lawn and make sure your stripes are, are good and overlap the wheels over the previous wheel spot. And then next week when you mow the lawn, do it at a different angle because it keeps your lawn healthy. And, and, then, and I taught him everything about mowing a lawn except... Except, I never tell him to make sure the blade is on the mower. <laughs> never. Never tell him, make sure you have a blade. I never tell him that. And let's say that I teach Micah how to use a weed eater. I teach him how to go with the weed eater around all of the edges and make sure you stay low and tight around your edges and make sure that when you come to corners that, you know, it's a weed eater. And so you make sure you get in that corner real well and make sure that you actually probably do the weed eating before the mowing because then the, the mower will pick up the, the grass trimmings. And I, I teach him all about that, but I don't tell him to make sure that he has string outside of that weed eater or weed whacker, whatever you call it. Now let's say that they both wake up on a Monday morning in the summer. They don't have any school and they know we need to get the lawn mowed. So Dennis, he goes out and he starts that mower. That mower starts up right away. He knows how to, he's already checked the wheels. He's checked the height. He knows that it's self-propelled. So he puts his headphones in and Dennis just starts going. And he goes and he does the whole yard. I mean, all the stripes, they look good. He, he stays perfectly straight in line for the first time ever. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He does well. He prides himself on the mowing. And he goes and he does all of that. Micah comes out. And Micah, man, he's excited. He starts up that weed eater. It starts up right away. He gets down there, he goes around all the edges and man, he's doing it so pristine and so precise. I mean, that weed eater, it's, it's low and tight all the way around every edge. They get done in 15 minutes. Mow the entire lawn, 15 minutes. And they get done and Dennis says, you know, we should go over, we should go over to Miss Marilyn's house, our neighbor. Let, let's, go, let's go do her yard real quick. Micah goes, oh, it's a great idea, Dennis. They go and they do the same thing, 15 minutes, done. Then they think, you know, let's, let's go across the street. Let's go to that new neighbor that lives right down there. Let's go mow his yard real fast. And they go and they mow it, 10 minutes. 
And my boys, they take three hours, three hours of their Monday, and they go, Monday's our day off as a family day, but man, while I'm out golfing, they take three hours and they do seven of the yards in the neighborhood. Seven. They come home, they park that lawnmower, put that weed whacker in the garage. Let me ask you a question. How effective were they that day? Yeah, if you're optimistic, you'd say, well, they got some exercise in. (laughs) Were they effective? But wait, wait. He started the lawnmower. Listen, don't miss it. It sounded like he was mowing the lawn. It sounded like he was weed eating. I mean, they they, they did everything the way they were taught. It was all good. But without a blade... And without string, listen, don't miss it. It doesn't mean a thing. It was pointless. They didn't accomplish anything. You know what they did? They just made noise. They just made noise, wasted energy, and wasted time. Thanks, you guys can sit down. You did a great job just standing. (laughs) Give them a hand. It would be, it would be utterly insane. It would really, it would be ludicrous to teach someone to mow a lawn without the blade. It'd be utterly absurd to teach someone to weed whack without the string. This is kind of what Paul speaks about as he comes to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. He doesn't speak about mowing a lawn. No, he wants the believers at Corinth to simply know this, that you can look the part, you can act the part, you can be using your gifts, but if you miss a key element, it doesn't mean a thing. And that key element that he's referring to is the key element of love. Love is the blade. Love is the blade in the spiritual lawnmower of giftedness. Love is the blade. Love is what makes it effective. Love is what causes it. Listen, the blade is what causes it to be a lawnmower. Love is what causes it to be spiritual giftedness. I want you to see this with me this morning, the fact that he helps them understand that if you don't have love, it is all for nothing. You are pushing a mower without a blade. You are using a weed whacker without string. It is ineffective. And I want to start today by looking at one simple verse. And so take your Bible, if you would, and let's stand. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. You're in 13. Stay there. Just look back one verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning... In verse number 31, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Remember, Paul has just gone through those four main points. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer is gifted. Every believer is important. Every believer is responsible. And then he says this, but covet the best gifts. Now this phrase, covet the best gifts, it doesn't mean there's certain gifts that you, know, you should want in the church and certain other gifts that don't mean a lot. That's not what Paul is saying. This phrase reminds us, helps us understand, hey, keep growing in giftedness and understand, we'll see in chapter 14, that there are certain gifts that God desires to use. There's certain gifts that God desires to use, not in a greater way, but in a different way. And that word best, we'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But here's the phrase I want to look at. Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. I want to show you, church at Corinth, I want to show you something that is even better than just having a spiritual gift. I want to show you a more excellent way, a great way, to utilize your gifts, to find out your giftedness. And Paul's going to go to chapter 13 to speak about love. 
I think this morning that every one of us will be challenged. Let's pray, and we'll get right in the word of God this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take a minute, and would you just simply ask God to speak to you? Would you ask God, God, would you help me today to hear from you? God, would you show me today how to, how to love like you love? Dear Lord, we come before you and just thank you for the word of God, and I pray that you would help us today as we go through this passage. Father, would you teach us? Would you uh, help me? Lord, help me to, to preach out of a heart of love for you and for your people. And God, I pray that you would just empower the message today, use your Holy Spirit to speak to us in an in a individual way and then also on a corporate level as a church. And Father, we just commit to you this time. I pray that if there's someone with us in person or online that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. We, um, we believe and expect you to work and do something great this morning. And so I pray that you bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. There's a few thoughts as Paul is going to talk about this topic, this subject of love, and it's a subject that I think every single one of us need to be reminded about on a, on a, a, um, a often, uh, often on a regular basis. That's what I'm looking at. Uh, we need to be reminded of it on a regular basis because if we are not, man, we're going to miss some things. And this is what Paul is going to try to help the believers at Corinth with. And he's helping them understand this fact that you can have, listen, you can have all of the giftedness in the world. And the church at Corinth did. We saw it last week, 1 Corinthians chapter number one. He said that you come behind in no gift. Hey, you guys, church at Corinth, you are a gifted, gifted church. I mean, if we were to rate churches in their giftedness, church at Corinth, you would be high. But you can have all the giftedness in the world. And if you forget the character trait of love, your giftedness means nothing. Because love... Love is that blade. There's three things about love that Paul teaches the believers at Corinth. There's a number of things, but I broke them into three categories that Paul teaches them about love and the importance of it. The first one today, Paul teaches them and us, is this fact that love is valuable. Love brings value to your spiritual gift. Notice what Paul says in verses one through three, as he points out that without love, the use of your gift is nothing. Verse one, he says this, though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What's he saying? Even though a person could speak with all sorts of elements of the gift of tongues, you see the gift of tongues in the Bible times, and again, we're not going to uh, go on down that trail like we did a little bit last week, but the gift of tongues in Bible days was actually a few different gifts that were summarized into this gift of tongues. Here's what Paul is saying. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I had every aspect, every element of the gift of tongues, if I do that, if I use my gift without love, do you know all that I am, I'm just racket. I'm just noise. You're not getting it. Let me help us out. <laughs> we don't have symbols today. We don't have symbols, but we do have a piano. How many of you knew that I could play the piano? I can't. <clears throat> I can play like three chords, maybe. There, I play that. I can play that. Let me, you ready for me to play a song? Here we go. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. How beautiful was that? Hey, listen, don't miss the point. Here's what Paul is saying. You can be, you can be gifted. You could speak with all the gifts of tongues. You could have it all, but if you do it without love, do you know all that it sounds like? It's just racket. What's Paul saying? Hey, if you utilize any gift without love, it's of no value. It means nothing. 
hey, your, your love, the, the area, the character trait of love, loving God and loving people, we'll see it in a minute, that is the blade. What's he teaching in verse number one? He's teaching that even, even though someone could speak with all of the gifts of tongues, it's just a bunch of noise if they do it without love. Verse number two, he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, I can, this, is, this gift of prophecy is the gift of predicting the future and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith that I could remove mountains, if I have not charity, if there is not love at the base of that, look at what he says. What's those three words? I am what? I'm nothing. If a person was perfect in their use of the gifts, and I mean perfect to the point that they could predict the future, they could display faith, that they could literally say, mountain be moved, and in faith it was moved. Paul said, I could do some amazing, miraculous things. If I could do that, but I did it without love, I'm nothing. That phrase, I am nothing, it means literally my existence. Listen, it means my existence is of no value. That's what it means. Like my life is meaningless if I operate my spirit and use my spiritual giftedness without love. There's no point to these great accomplishments if love is not involved. Verse number three, he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, the the gift of giving or helps, and though I give my body to be burned, if I do it without charity, it profiteth me nothing. And I could be the most generous person in all of the church. I could even give my life for the cause of Christ. But if I do these things without love, it is of no benefit to me or to anybody else. Here's what Paul is saying. He is saying that it is love that enriches the gift. It's love that brings value to your giftedness. Hey, church at Corinth, you could have all the giftedness in the world, but if you use your gift, quote unquote, use your gifts and you don't have love, hey, your giftedness means nothing. You are mowing the lawn without a blade. You are using all of your effort for something that is absolutely pointless. And the fact is that when things are done without love, they are of no value because love brings value. If you use your gifts without love, your giftedness, it truly means nothing. It accomplishes nothing. But you know, we're taught all throughout the word of God that love is a key in the Christian life, isn't it? First John, or excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse number nine tells us that we are taught of God. We're taught by God to love one another. First John 4, 19, it says that God the Father teaches us love by sending us his son. John chapter 13, Jesus teaches love by serving and then instructs his disciples to love as he loves. Romans chapter five helps us understand that the Holy Spirit of God teaches us to love one another by placing God's love within our heart. Love truly is a key in the Christian life and to live out, listen, to live out any portion of the Christian life without love is of no benefit. Serving without love cheapens both the servant and those who are touched by the service. But serving with love brings value to the entire church. I've used the illustration before, and I'll use it again this morning to point to the fact that love is valuable. Many of you that are married in here today, if I had my wedding ring and I gave you my wedding ring, and I, I told you today that I am going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. I'm, never going to, I'm not going to go hold another lady's hand or, or kiss another lady or anything. I'm going to do that because I said vows and because I wear a ring. That's the reason I'm going to do that. Do you think my wife would be impressed? I'm going to do it because I'm bound by the law. Does that impress her? No. As a matter of fact, she's probably going to be a little upset. But if I came today and I said, listen, I'm never, I'm never going to hold another woman's hand. I'm never going to kiss another lady. I'm, never, I'm going to be faithful to my wife in every aspect of marriage because that woman right there is the love of my life. I love her. And so I'll be faithful to her. You know what that's going to do? That's going to speak to my wife. Why? Because I'm operating on the basis of love. Hey, God's no different. God doesn't want you to be faithful to him and be faithful to church and be faithful using your gifts because you're a Christian. 
because you prayed sometime and asked Jesus into your life and so now you're bound. God doesn't want you to do that. You know why God wants us to spend time in his word every day? Because I love him. You wanna know why God wants you to be at church and faithful in church? Because I love him. You wanna know why God wants you to speak to people and tell people about Jesus? Because you love him. You wanna know why God tells you, hey, listen, I would love for you to use your gifts within the church to exalt Christ and to edify the body. Why God wants that is because we love him. Why? Love is valuable. Hey, you can have all the giftedness in the world, but without love, it's pointless. First thought today, love is valuable. Second, love is selfless. Love is selfless. I love these verses that we're going to be in in just for for a few minutes. Looking at the fact that love is selfless. Verse number four, the word of God says this, charity suffereth long and is kind, it envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, it is not puffed up, it doth not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, seeketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. And just in these few verses, what Paul does is he takes a minute to kind of list out some characteristics of love. Hey, what does love look like? Well, love, it suffers long. What does that mean? The word suffers long, makrothrumio is the the Greek word for it. It means to be long-spirited, to be long-suffering, to be patient, What's interesting is this word, listen, it's the same word given to us in 2 Peter 3, 9 to describe God's love to humanity. When it says this, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is long suffering, not willing that any should perish. He's long, he's macrothumio. Listen, He is patient on you. It means to put up with a lot. It means to show extreme patience. What's a good characteristic of love? It's patient. What's another one? It's kind. You know what this means? To be kind. It means to be benevolent, to be giving, to show oneself useful in the lives of others. To be kind is to be employed to kindness, meaning it is literally my job every day to show kindness to the people around me. Treating those people that I'm with as if they're the most important person that I'm going to talk to that day, not for what I can get out of them, but how can I be a blessing to them? I'm loving with kindness. That's a characteristic of love. What's another one? We read there that charity is kind and charity vaunteth not itself. That phrase vaunteth not itself, it means it's not sinfully jealous, meaning longing to have what does not, uh, what it does, or excuse me. Yep, that's envieth. It vaunteth not, it's, or envieth not, that's where we're at, excuse me. Envieth not is love is, it's not jealous. It's not asking what can I get out of this? How can I move forward through this? What is beneficial to me in this? And listen, If we're not careful, all of us love often with an envious spirit. What does that mean? We love expecting in return. We love expecting them to reciprocate that love. Here's what Paul is saying. True biblical love says, I don't expect anything back. Envieth not. Next is it vaunteth not itself. What does that mean? It's not braggadocious. It's not pointing to itself. Love doesn't say, hey, look at me and what I did. Love is behind the scenes. 
is not puffed up, not proud, not consumed with oneself, not arrogant, doth not behave itself unseemly. This means it doesn't act unbecoming or act out of character. It's not rude. Charity seeketh not our own, is not demanding of one's own personal rights. Love does not demand what I deserve in or through this. And I have to have this outcome in order to serve love or in order to serve or, or give or be involved. Now remember, don't, don't miss it this morning. We, we will take this and apply it into all of our relationships relationships, but Paul is speaking specifically on the church level, corporately. And you know what Paul is saying with that? Hey, church at Corinth, you know what you've been doing? You've been behaving unseemly. You've been rude to each other. You've been seeking your own. If you were operating by real love, you wouldn't be seeking your own. It wouldn't be about me, me, me. It would be about him, him, him. Love seeketh not our own. Love is not easily provoked. You know what this means? It means that love is not quick and easily stirred up. It takes a lot to blow the fuse. Love is not quick to explode, not easily angered. Charity thinketh no evil. I love this one. Love, charity, it doesn't expect the worst and doesn't keep records. Love doesn't take inventory of past wrongs. Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. This means that love doesn't delight in evil, but finds delight in truth. Love doesn't celebrate sin, but celebrates truth and deliverance from sin. Charity bears all things. This means it protects. The, the word beareth literally means to put a roof over. Love seeks to guard and to protect and to build up. Love believes all things. It chooses to trust, chooses to believe the best. Love hopeth all things. Love confidently expects good things. Love keeps uh, looking at things in a healthy and a, a good way saying, you know what? I expect good outcomes. I don't expect the bad to happen. No, 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 no. I hope all things. I believe that this can turn out good. Love endures, charity endureth long. It continues forward under pressure. It keeps going no matter what is going on. You know, Paul is saying in, these, in this passage is simply this, that love is consumed with God and others and not with itself. But what was the church at Corinth doing? Why was Paul writing this? Because the believers at Corinth, they were consumed with themselves. They were con consumed with themselves Those who have been here, you know in this series what we've covered, but I want you just to think very, very quickly with me some of the characteristics of the believers at Corinth. They were selfish in their approach to their relationships with each other. Paul said, are there not divisions among you? Is there not contention among you? Does not one say, I'm of Paul, and one I'm of Apollos, another I'm of Cephas, and another one I am of Christ? They were selfish in their reasons for serving within the church. Hey, you're using your giftedness to promote yourself, Paul wrote to them. They were selfish in the way they approached the Lord's table, coming to the Lord's table and boasting of their riches, and they called it their agape feast, and they were selfish in it. They were selfish in the way that they dealt with gray areas in the Christian life. Eat the meat, man. Don't you know that the idols are nothing? You ignorant new believer, why don't you? And Paul writes to him and says, hey, why are you being like that? Don't be selfish in the gray areas of life. They were impatient with each other. They were envying each other's gifts. They were suing one another. Remember Paul said, hey, we shouldn't go to, listen, little petty matters within the church. You don't go and just sue your brother and take it outside of the court. Now, again, in that message, if you were here, we weren't talking about illegal actions. We were talking literally like that person, that person took my parking spot. You know, I mean, that's where my donkey normally goes. And they, they pulled their camel up there today. And I don't, their camel act, maybe you like that one better. They, they pulled up there today. They took my seat. And what they were doing is they were going to outside sources to try to, try to uh, uh, vie and, and, uh, uh, fight for position within the church. And Paul writes to him, man, you shouldn't sue one another. They were boasting in their sin and their ability to live under grace, remember? Paul said there is open sin within the church. Not only do people within the church know about it, but it is openly and commonly reported among you. That means the, the people in the city look to your church and say, man, they're no different than us. You say, Pastor, why do you bring all of this up? Because it's like Paul, I love in verse four through seven, Paul is looking at many of their issues and he is saying, I mean, the issues he's been dealing with. And he's like, hey, you are claiming that you accomplish a lot. 
You're claiming that you guys have this Lord's table thing down. You're claiming that you guys are gifted and you're really doing a lot for love. But can I tell you something? You aren't. Hey, you're mowing without a blade. Hey, you are ineffective. Why? Because your life is not described by these definitions of love. You've been going through all of these actions with selfishness. You operate in love, but you are missing the fact that love is selfless. You see, true biblical love says this is all about exalting him and edifying others and has nothing to do with me. Pastor, how do we tie this into our church? Listen, if we're not careful, Every single believer can be like those in Corinth. And in any aspect of our Christian life, we can go through motions. We can accomplish tasks. We can serve in the church. We can give. We can teach. We can preach. We can lead. We can encourage. We can do all of those things, but we can do them operating in selfishness. Well, how do we do that? We make serving more about what we get and how we look than what we give to him and how he looks. Love says it's all about him, it's not about me. I heard this a number of years ago and I heard it applied to marriage, but I wanna apply it to the church as a whole and to your life in general. When we read all of these characteristics of love, I want you to ask yourself, does, do these verses, do they define the way I approach my walk with God? Do they define the way I approach my relationships with others? Do they define the way that I serve and give and work and invest in the church? You say, well, Pastor Dennis, how would we do that? Here's how you find out how you line up on if you are loving and motivated by love. Take charity out and put your name in. Can it describe you? Dennis suffers long. He's long-spirited. He's patient. Dennis is kind. Dennis envieth not. Dennis vaunteth not himself. He's not braggadocious. Dennis is not puffed up, is not consumed with oneself. Dennis does not behave himself unseemly. He does not act unbecoming or out of character or rude. Dennis seeks not his own. He's not demanding of his personal rights. Dennis is not easily provoked, not easily angered. Dennis thinketh no evil. He doesn't expect the worst, and he doesn't keep records. Dennis rejoiceth not in iniquity, but he rejoices in the truth. Dennis doesn't celebrate sin, but he celebrates truth and deliverance from sin. Dennis bears all things. Dennis seeks to guard and to protect and to build up. Dennis believes all things. He chooses to believe the best. Dennis hopes all things. He confidently expects good outcomes. Dennis endures all things. Dennis continues forward under pressure. I want to ask you, if you took charity out and put your name in, how you doing? Because I don't know about you, but that's convicting. Hey, let's just be honest. That's convicting. Because there's time, now listen, again, we can take it, we can apply it to any relationship, apply it to you in the marriage. How you doing as a husband? Well, does, does this love define you? Uh, the wives are going, yeah, well, ma'am, how's it, how are you doing? How you doing, parent, grandparent, son, daughter, teenager, school teacher, coworker, boss? Hey, how we doing? But let's remember the context, because context matters. How we doing within the church? That's what he's written to. Within the church, can you put your, pull, your, pull charity out and put your name in that, man, you're long-suffering. Hey, it takes a lot to tick you off. Hey, it takes a lot. Listen, I'm, we're, I'm about to do it. Pastor goes again. 
She's taking a sweet little time. Man, Brian, we had, we had 20 minutes of 20. We had, we had 30 minutes of music today. <sighs> Tell you what, this place. Psh, I'm never coming here again. Hey, pastor, I want to meet. All right, let's meet. Pastor, I'm never coming back to church again. Okay. Why? Well, you want me to tell you some of the reasons over the years? I mean, want me to just sit here and list some? Well, your kid was mean to my kid in the nursery. Oh, welcome to parenting. Well, uh, my parking spot. Someone took my park. Oh, I'm sorry. Does it have your name on it? That's my parking spot. My chair. Janet's like, don't go there, Pastor. <laughs> um, the preaching can be too long. The preaching's not long enough. Well, you sing, you sing songs that are new. Well, you sing songs that are old. Well, you... Listen, it's, it's utterly preposterous. The reasons people use to leave a church. And I'm meddling right now, and I understand that, but I just kind of feel like I need to a little bit. Hey, charity is long-suffering. You know what that means? It takes a while for you to get ticked off. Let me ask you a question. Who has issues? Yeah. I wonder if pastors treated churches like church families. And I'm not trying to preach down. Please understand that. But what if pastors left churches? And some do. But what if pastors left churches the way that church members left churches? Well, they didn't shake my hand. I've literally, listen, I have literally had people walk by me and go. And what, because of something I did to offend them. Uh, true story. You can ask Hannah, true story. What if pastors were that way? I'm leaving the church. Why? Because the pastor talks too much about money. Doesn't he know that God doesn't need money? You're right, but God gives opportunity to partner and to give. Am I meddling too much? Is this, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just telling you, listen. Just look. Charity's kind. Hey, are you kind to other people? Hey, why don't you come sit with me today? And we're like teenagers sometimes in high school. Right? A new person comes in and we're like, Good to meet you. Man, we're like 14-year-olds. I'm, I'm speaking to Dennis too. Listen, this is convicting because there's times in our life that we operate off of selfishness. And you know what God's saying? Hey, man. Hey, come sit with me today. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, I'm praying for you. Charity is not puffed up. You aren't puffed up. I'm not all about myself. Doesn't behave itself unseemly, not rude. Hey, take charity out and put your name in. How you doing? Whew. All right, pastor, keep moving. Move on, move on. I'm telling you right now, you know what? It would be wise of us to come back to this often. God, how am I doing? Man, God, how am I doing? Love is valuable. Love is selfless. Lastly today, love is timeless. Look at the last three or a few verses, verse eight down through verse number 13. Notice what it says. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies predicting the future, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, this, this knowledge isn't just to know something. This is special revelation from God. It shall vanish away for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But listen, when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly or dimly, but then face to face, now in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these 
is charity. You know, Paul is looking at in all of these verses and we don't have time to do an extensive study on it, but he's simply saying, hey, that, that gift of prophecy and knowledge and tongues, those were not permanent gifts, that knowledge of special revelation and all of that, those gifts went together. And Paul says, hey, listen, God will impart knowledge to the prophet and he'll give the message in a tongue. And there's an interpreter using that message, but these were gifts that they will cease. They will stop. They will fail. These gifts will fail, they will be abolished, they will cease, but you know what will endure forever? Love. And then he says, as a matter of fact, here's what's around. Faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest one is charity. When Paul talks about those gifts and the fact of God's love abiding forever, remember last week we mentioned that when the canonization of Scripture took place, it was foretold that those sign gifts would stop. You know what a lot of Christians think? A lot of Christians, and don't, oh, don't miss it. This is such a good point. A lot of Christians think, you know, it would be so cool if sign gifts were still present. <laughs> Except for Dale. Dale doesn't. You know, I, I think it would be cool. Let's be, be honest. Wouldn't it be cool to have the gift of miracles? Noah and I were talking about the gift of healing. Like, you know where I would go if I had the gift of healing? Like every cancer center in the world. Right? I mean, like, I could do it. God enabled me. Healed, 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 healed. It'd be awesome. That's what we think. <clears throat> but we have to know that God said no. This is better than miracle gifts. You know what we do? We actually try to take ourselves out and we think, I, I, maybe I'm just preaching to myself. We think, I think, it would have been really cool to have lived in Bible days and seen all the miracles. Did you know that really only a very small percentage of people in those days actually saw a miracle? I mean, literally, we're talking like tenths of a percentage of the world's population, saw a miracle. Peter, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that story? Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter uh, got up and right saw Jesus transfigured. You know what Peter wrote? About that experience, in the letters that Peter wrote, Peter said, I was up there. I saw him in his glorified body. But in scripture, I have a more sure word. Peter, Peter, who saw that, he said, it's better for us to have this. You know, Paul is trying to help them understand. And we would love to maybe have those gifts. I wish we could do that like them. But you know what Old Testament saints would say? You know what many of the, Believers in the gospels would say, they would look ahead and say, wow, I wish I had his word. I wish I had the benefits of the copy of the word of God. Something I could read anytime. Something I could resort to anytime. You see, it's more than a sporadic miracle here and there. It's the written word of God to be applied to my life every day. You see, in the, word, in the Old Testament, the word of God was rare, but we live in a time when the copies of the word of God is not rare. It's available. We can have a copy of it. We can have it on our phone. We can have it printed on cards. You can have it on pictures. We have Bible study programs. We have de devotionals with the word of God written in them. We have so much availability to the word of God. Listen, shame on us if we don't make much of the word of God that is available to us. Because Paul said, when this comes, it will validate everything because this validates who God is. But what's the point Paul is getting at in all of these verses? Verse number 11, what does he do? He compares it to childish things. Well, what? He's like, hey, when I was a kid, I spoke like a kid. I acted like a kid. But as you grow up, maturity happens. What's he doing? Well, we have to remember the, the Corinthians were like children playing with toys that one, way, one day would disappear. They were arguing over things that weren't gonna last. And Paul says, 
You expect a child to think, to understand, to speak like a child, but you also expect a child to one day mature. Hey, church at Corinth, mature. Put away childish things. Well, how do we do that, Paul? You gotta remember that love will last. Grow in love. Now abideth these three, faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. Hey, one day our faith will be made sight. How many of you looking forward to seeing Jesus? Man, I'm looking forward to seeing Christ. I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to hugging him, just hugging the Savior. My faith will be made sight. Hey, your hope, your earnest expectation, it will be in view. In heaven, you're not going to need faith anymore. In heaven, you're not going to need an earnest expectation anymore. But you know what's still going to be around in heaven? Love. You're still going to love him. You're still going to love what he did. And no wonder Paul said, hey, the greatest of these is love. Love will continue throughout time. Love is timeless. Love is what is going to last. And so one of the main characteristics in the believer's life and certainly within the church should be love. Jonathan Swift, the satirical author of Gulliver's Travels, he wrote this. We have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. Isn't it true that in the Christian life, hey, we can find problems with everybody, but we can't find reasons to love everybody. Can I say this morning that the main evidence of maturity in a Christian life is a growing love for God and a growing love for God's people. And I would add a growing love for lost souls. And the fact is the only way spiritual gifts can be used properly is when Christians are motivated by love. And so here's what we need to know and what we need to walk away with today. We need to know that no matter what giftedness is present or not, you can always love. Love eclipses all the giftedness in the world. I've stated this before and I'll state it again at some point probably, but my dad, after during my dad's passing those few months, we had tons of people contacting us, people at the, at the service and all of this stuff. Even yesterday, Hannah had a message from somebody that had recently watched the service. The common statement made by people was this. Your dad made me feel special. Your dad made me feel special. Because it seemed like he just loved me. Hey, he didn't even know me, but he loved me. Micah the other day said, Micah or Lena or Dennis, one of the kids said, man, isn't it awesome that we were just, you know, Papa's kind of on our mind. And they said, isn't it awesome that people were there at the service that never even met Papa? but they felt his love. And since one of them said, and there was somebody I met, they met Papa one time and they came to the service because they felt loved. Can I just say, I know I'm his son and I'm very proud to be my dad's son, but I was con- I'm convicted by that. You know, my dad understood many other great believers and many even in here understand giftedness means nothing if you don't just love people. Some here would say, well, pastor, let's boil it down to two thoughts. It's the Christian life. Love God and love people. It's not hard. We make it hard. Love God, love people. Well, pastor, I don't know what my gift is. I mean, I I just don't know what what my gift, what, what is it? Can I tell you this, regardless of what your, what, your, what your gift is, if you just start loving people, your gift will emerge. When you just love people and you love God from a pure heart, your gift will be seen. I mean, you just, well, how do I do that? Well, love serves, love gives, love takes care, love trusts, love is kind. Hey, just start doing those things and you'll pretty soon figure out what your gift is because people will come to you and they'll say, You've been so encouraging lately. You've been so encouraging. Every time you speak to me, I'm just encouraged. Hey, you might have the gift of exhortation. Someone comes to you and they say, man, every time I speak to you, I can tell that you love God. And it's like I learned something when you talk about your love for God. You might have the gift of teaching. Well, how did it come out? It emerged because you just started loving God and loving people. Paul will write next week or in a couple weeks, we'll see it. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Follow after charity. Hey, pursue love.
This morning, love, it's valuable. Love is selfless and love is timeless. And I wanna say today, if you know Christ as your savior today, would you ask God, God, would you help me to have love as a motivator in every aspect of my Christian life? God, help me to love people this week like you love people. God, help me to employ love within the church like you want me to. God, help me to have 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven as my character traits. Thank you for listening to this message. It's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.